Hey, welcome to the Behind the Screen Podcast. Andy Benoit here, Greg Cosell, my good friend from NFL Films. Hit that subscribe button, leave the five-star review. Greg, you know, we we texted, hey, what have you watched? What have I watched? We didn't sync <laughs> up as much this week. We had to kind no, of... No, no, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, which, which will be good if we share our notes at the end of the week, at least. We'll feel like we kind of saw things we didn't see. But the one thing we did both see, and, and it's convenient because a lot of people, I think, are talking about these guys is the Cleveland Browns defense against Tennessee, and then we've seen them in other games. So I thought that's that's worth diving into right now. It's still early, but these guys are lighting the world on fire. Yeah, and I you know, I think the Browns with other teams as well, but the Browns certainly are playing through three games. You know, the the numbers are off the charts defensively. Um, but it always when I watch their tape, it, it always makes me think of the different ways in which you can play to be successful defensively. I mean, they do blitz. It's not as if they don't blitz, but obviously they can rush the quarterback with four. And I think that's such a critical element because they do have Miles Garrett, who's a great, great player, and I, and they move him around. He does not just line up at defensive end. They use him where he lines up inside over guards, at times over the center. They have Zadarius Smith, who's a very similar player in that regard as well. And now they have Okoronkwo, who has become that kind of player for them as well. So they have three defensive linemen who can essentially line up in any position along your defensive front, and they can seek out specific matchups. And And the reason it's so important to be able to rush with four is the fact that you can play with seven in coverage. Because what football is, is essentially a numbers game. If you want to be able to play with seven in coverage versus five eligibles. And often, Andy, when you play the Browns, because they need an extra player in to pass protect, because of Garrett, because of Smith, because yeah. of the way they align their fronts, very often you're playing with seven in coverage versus four receivers, and then the numbers really work out in their favor. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And one thing that's really stood out with the Browns, we're talking their third down defense, basically. Ah especially in the second half of games, the way they disguise and what they get to. A lot of single high stuff in the first half of games, and then they get to these different cover two variations in the second half of games. You can't disguise as well if you don't have the seven bodies. That's critical for your yes. ability to disguise and rotate coverages. And that's one thing. And, Greg, I don't know. How do you feel? I almost feel like there's two versions of the Browns' defense. There's the early downs, first and second down Browns, and then the third down, third down they rush for, they disguise and all that. Yes. When you put on the film of the first and second down, it's almost, to me, it's almost like what someone who has never seen football would think it is, and I mean this as a compliment, where they just kind of probably assume everybody on defense goes runs after the ball and goes and attacks. And that's how the Browns play. It, it, there's an aggressiveness to their early down defense that I don't think we see with other teams. No, and and I think one player specifically that has stood out in early downs, because in early downs, they're predominantly single high. And Thornhill is their post safety, and Grant Delpit is their box safety. And he even lines up on the ball at times. Um, yeah, I, I would say a, a good amount for at, at times. For certain stretches, that's how they line up. That is correct. And And – I believe that Delpit, particularly through three games, we know about Garrett. We know about Zedarius Smith. You know, Denzel Award is talked about as a quality corner who can match up man-to-man against wide receivers. And they don't necessarily use him as a match-up corner, but he can certainly match up man-to-man. 
But to me, Delpit has been such a critical piece of their defense on first and second down because they want to play with him down in the box area or on the line of scrimmage, which is the strength of his game anyway, because he's a big kid. He's close to 6'3". My guess is he's in the 215 range, and he is really good playing in the box, and he's really good uh, as a run defender, especially on the back side. I mean, he's often unblocked as a backside defender, and he runs down backs. You know, it's yeah. not as if that's a big defensive end who you're leaving unblocked. He is a safety who gets down the line of scrimmage from the backside with great speed and range. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And in the previous scheme, and, and it's no slight of the previous coaching staff, they had, they've had guys that have accomplished a lot. But speaking specifically to Delpit, he was in a lot more quarters structure back then, kind of split safety. And I, I, I don't think he's bad at that, but he's not the steady force as a split safety that he is as a box defender. No, and I think, you know, again, you know as well as I do that coaches – you can play players different ways and it doesn't mean one's right and one's wrong. You know, uh, Jim Schwartz clearly has an approach. Um, he's always been for the most part, like I said, the, he will blitz. It's, it's more selective than constant, uh, but he's mostly a four down rush guy. He'd like to be able to play that way. And you mentioned third down, which is so critical. Obviously it's the money down in this league. He does so much with disguise, late rotation, different looks, a lot of invert concepts, both in cover two and cover three. And I'll let you explain that in a little more detail so people understand what invert means. But he does a lot of that with cover two and cover three. Yeah, and I think in simplest terms, invert, let's look at cover two. You see it more there probably anyway. The cornerback plays low in cover two. The safety plays high and above him. If you invert it, you have the corner dropping out. He's playing high, and someone else is coming in and playing low. And it's a great, great way to disguise your coverages. You often see it to the field with the with the Browns, the wide side of the field as well is where they will use the inverts. And normally, and in years past, you'd only see that to the boundary. So when you see it to the field, it presents a different look to the offense. Yeah, great, great point. I wonder, Greg, if some of that is just when you break things down, like like numbers wise, out of spread formations, and it's empty is the one that comes to mind we're not talking empty on third and long so much here but just conceptually you know the ball's going inside against zone defenses a lot in the NFL now out of spread formation so if you're inverting to the field you're gambling that hey whoever's number one and receiver the widest guy out there you know we might be a little weaker in coverage underneath against that guy we've got our corner on top of it though and we're kind of gambling and tell me if you agree maybe you see it differently you're kind of gambling on the idea that they're probably thrown to number two or number three on the inside of your zone, as opposed to that widest guy. Um, I would say for them, you know, again, I think that becomes team offense specific. Uh, but, you know, I think that you, you definitely, I think defense is overall, let's put it that way. Uh, feel that you have to take care of between the numbers first before you take care of outside the numbers. Now, obviously, you don't want to give up easy throws outside the numbers. You don't want to play your corners 10 yard off and, and give up just hitch routes that any quarterback can make. But I think the feeling always is that, hey, if your quarterback can consistently throw the ball outside the numbers, and I'm not talking about hitches or speed outs that any quarterback can make, but I'm talking about throws a little deeper down the field, such as on third down, as you mentioned how good they are on third down, then you're 
you tip your hat to the quarterback. You know, there are some quarterbacks that can do that. But for the most part, particularly if it's to the wider side of the field, Andy, you don't see a lot of throws by quarterbacks from a far hash to the other wide side of the field outside the numbers. Yeah, and I actually did a study on third down and seven to ten. So I've got the success rates of everywhere on the field. Inside the numbers in general is about 41% success rate for the offense. Middle of the field between the hashes, 45.5%. Outside the numbers, 39.5%. And then all the way to the sideline, 31.5% success rate. The wider you throw it, the harder it is on the offense, basically. No question. And I think that I think that's one reason why you see, and this is a coverage you and I have spoken about over the years in teams some teams call it special, other teams have different names, where you see a lot of teams now versus three-by-one sets um, basically have the corner over number one to the trip side, to the three-receiver side, essentially yeah. play man coverage, and then they play quarters or some zone concept inside of that, and, and they basically dare the quarterback to attack the one-on-one the furthest, you know, outside the number to the trip side, because most passing games don't design throws for that receiver. So you basically just take one guy, you wash him out of your equation in your pass game, and you squeeze everything inside, and it makes it tougher to work inside. Yeah, this, the Saints have done that a lot with Marshawn Lattimore this yep. season. Yeah, and and I do you think you need a dude at corner to do that, what you just no. described? You no. don't think so? I mean, it, let's put it this way. You're counting on the percentages and the probability and tendency that the offense is not likely to throw the ball there. So you don't necessarily need a big-time corner to do that. Although I remember back a number of years ago, the Cardinals used to do that when Patrick Peterson was there, and he would line up you know, yep. over that, that number one to Tripp's receiver who, who basically had – what we call a plus split outside the numbers. And Peterson would just play that that guy man-to-man and they'd squeeze everything else inside. Right. I was with you that night when we when you and I learned the, the intricacies of that. Do you remember that at the Combine? With, I with do. With their safety's coach, Nick Rapone. Nick really Rapone, cool yes. Yeah, yeah and we, we had dinner and we both kind of went through that. They, they called it special quarters. I, I, right. I, I call it that that's what I heard. But right. uh yeah, no, that's an effective coverage. 7%, by the way, that's how that's the number of third down and 7 to 10 plays where the ball's thrown to the sideline. 7% of the time. 93% so that, see, again, something else happens. Football is all probability and tendency. Nothing's 100%. Um, you've done a lot of studies, you know, working with the Rams, so you know nothing's 100%. But 7% is a pretty good number if you're a defense. So, so you almost discount that. And you know what? If Maybe if you're facing a Josh Allen or, or a quarterback that is capable of making that throw and he makes one, like I said, you tip your hat and you move on to the next play. But there's not many quarterbacks and therefore not many offenses that design throws to go to that receiver outside the numbers. Yeah, and, and I'd love to know. I wish I had it written down here. What percent of the 7% are late in the down throws where the quarterback's gotten outside the pocket? where it's not really, you know, it's still a sideline throw, but not the way we're describing. It's not those strong arm, far hash throws like we're right. describing. Hey, what, not to put you on the spot here, but this surprised me while we're talking third and long defense. What percent of the time is there no throw, would you guess? And that's counting a throw away as a no, not that you throw it away on third and 10, but. You mean you where know, it's third and long, the quarterback drops back, but he ends up making no throw? 
or or a, an untargeted throw. So he scrambles, oh. he's sacked, he throws something where it's you know wow. maybe he'll throw it away in the right. You, part you, of the you obviously know the answer to this, right? I do. I do know the answer. It was a higher number than I thought. All right. Here, than I all right. I'm going to think this through, and I'm going to say fourteen percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent. That of the is time. a staggeringly high number to me. Yeah, well, now you're making me nervous. Maybe I did something wrong in the math. I checked it a few times, though. Because I no, I, I'm sure you're right. If you, it's counting scrambles as well, so it doesn't mean that oh, okay. on conversion plays. It's just right. no throw comes off. But as you know, Greg, an offense is not going to draw up a third and seven to ten and say, "Hey, go scramble." That's not going to be the play call very often, if ever. You mean you don't think that coaches, uh, when they practice on third and long, <laughs> you know, say to roll the ball to the quarterback and say, "Just go make a play." Not that often. I love it when you say that, though. I, I love it. <laughs> you know, the guy, you mentioned him briefly on the Browns, though, because I think and Twitter gets excited about Miles Garrett because I think when you line guys up in different spots, then he's done some unusual things here and there. You know, it's easy to spot and it's easy to appreciate. Part of me feels like that is only viable to a certain extent unless you've got another guy that can move around as well because if Garrett moves around, someone else has to move around. They're not all going to you know, he's playing someone else's position. The guy that I think has always been great at it, and I think he's better inside than on the edge, I think he's good on the edge, is Zadarius Smith. I agree. He did that with Minnesota. They moved him around quite a bit. In fact, on their third downs the last couple of years in Minnesota, he was almost always standing up on the inside and almost jumping around as kind of, you know, a joker but he would be on the inside, not on the outside. So he's been able to do that throughout his career and be very effective doing that. Uh, so you're right. You know, it's always nice when you have one guy who can move around. You know, certainly a Micah Parsons, you see that with the Cowboys. He moves around a lot, but so can Demarcus Lawrence. So can Dorrance Armstrong. You need other players that can do similar things, and maybe they don't do it quite as well, although I think Zadarius Smith is very, very good at it. Um, and I think Demarcus Lawrence is as well, but yeah. you, it can't just be one guy because the last thing you want to do is just move is is weaken your rush just to make one guy be a factor. The Chiefs do it a lot with Chris Jones, but they've got other players as well. Michael Dana, a very underrated player, certainly not overlooked, I'm sure, by offenses that game plan to play him. Karloftis can move around as well. So you need other players that can do the same thing to present different front alignment looks to the offense. So you mentioned Parsons, an impossible discussion. This is, this is, you're going to find this low brow, but I think we ought to try it. <laughs> Who's more valuable to their defense, Parsons or Miles Garrett? That's one of those questions, you know. You know, you preface that by saying low brow. Um, but I think you know, we can make it hyper. I think there's an opportunity to make it. I have a tough time saying anybody's better than Micah Parsons right now. Yeah, he's. Although it's interesting, um, New England plays Dallas this week, and um, uh, so Bill Belichick was asked at his press conference this week about Micah Parsons in relation to Lawrence Taylor. And of course, Bill Belichick said, there's no one like Lawrence Taylor, period. You know, and, and, and I don't have a problem with that answer, by the way, because I was around here working in NFL films when Lawrence Taylor played. And while I love Micah Parsons and even going back two years when he started in his rookie year to play some defensive end, 
after two, three games, I said to our matchup crew here at NFL Films that this guy's the best edge pass rusher in the league. And he'd only been playing two or three games. So I'm a big Micah Parsons guy based on tape study. Um, I but, think, but you, think there's no, you agree with Belichick. See, I was, I was like three years old when Lawrence Taylor played. So you're going to have to tell me you well, agree with Belichick about the let's Taylor. Let's put it this way. I don't think at the time Lawrence Taylor came along and someone listening could say, hey, remember this guy, remember that guy. But I started working at NFL Films in 1979. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I know everything or that I remember everybody playing in the 60s or 70s. But I don't remember anyone like Lawrence Taylor until Lawrence Taylor came along. Um, So, you know, so now we have a lot of players who've played since Lawrence Taylor and so Micah Parsons, while I think he's tremendous and they're similar in size, um, you know, we've seen players who are dynamic off the edge, whereas prior to Taylor, there wasn't quite that guy. There were defensive ends who were edge pass rushers, but Taylor was not quite a defensive end, as you probably know, even though you didn't see him, you know, while he was playing. Um, yeah. And of course, Parsons does move around, which Taylor really didn't do much of. But Parsons lines up at end. He lines up over guard. He lines up inside. They'll stack him at times as a joker so he can get a running start and generate velocity and speed as a pass rusher. So, you know, they do a lot of things with Parsons. I would say that he's more velocity explosive than Garrett, but I would say that Garrett has a certain certain more confined strength power than Parsons. Not that Parsons isn't strong, but to me, Parsons' strength comes from his velocity. To me, Garrett is just so strong in a confined space. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. There's a leverage and a and a, a, a violence behind the leverage with, with Garrett and strength behind yep. the leverage. Parsons gets low. Parsons probably bends a little more and has the yep. leverage too. But I know what you're saying with Garrett. I said one time I interviewed Donovan Smith, the, the left tackle. And because I, I used to think Garrett, I was surprised he didn't get more snaps at three technique. And actually, he's only gets like 15 a year, but he looks pretty good when he's done it. Real good. And, and Donovan's point was Garrett's kind of a longer lever, angular type of body. And he didn't think that would fit very well inside. He thinks that, that Garrett is, and I think we all agree, Garrett's probably best on the edge anyway. But body type wise, I hadn't thought about it till he pointed it out like that, that like Garrett's such a different body than Parsons. Parsons is a little more sinewy, if you will. Garrett's is a little more just just kind of a brutish man with with athletic well, he's, he's over two seventy. Don't forget. Now Parsons is a big man. He's two forty five. Um, you know Parsons was an interesting guy because he came out of high school and was recruited as a pass rushing defensive end, which he, he was in high school. It was at Penn State where he got moved to play stacked linebacker, even though they did use him to rush the quarterback. And he was drafted, as you know, to play stacked linebacker, which he did through the first part of his rookie season with the Cowboys. And then due to injury, they moved him to defensive end and he was so dominant. And yeah. because the league values defense pass rushers far more than they do stacked linebackers. It just became kind of obvious that, you know what, this guy's going to be a pass rusher because that's more important than being a stacked linebacker. Well, I mean, and when you're as good as he is at it, I mean, yeah. he's, he might be second to none too. So that, that helps. I didn't buy in the whole summer. There's a lot made about, oh, he's gaining 10 pounds. He's going to put on more weight, be the edge guy. I didn't buy into that for a second. Did you? No, and he didn't need to. 
Right, right. That's the thing. I mean, he doesn't need to do that just to be a pass rusher. You know, there's certain guys, and, and he's phenomenal, but I mean, I remember Robert Mathis with the Colts who played opposite Dwight Freeney for, in those years when the Colts were really good, when they actually, when Tony Dungy was the coach and Peyton Manning was the quarterback, and Robert Mathis was 235 pounds as an edge rusher. But again, you know, so much is dependent on your team. You remember those teams because of Peyton, they'd get ahead pretty much in every single game by a meaningful score. And then Mathis and Freeney could pretty much spend the whole second half just rushing the quarterback. So the fact that Mathis was 235 became irrelevant because he didn't have to, you know, really step up and stop the run and take on big tackles in the run game and dominate at the point of attack because the way the games played out, he could be a pass rusher for right. for the meaningful parts of the game. Yeah. No, I yeah, I'm with you on that. So Dallas's defense, and we agree we like Micah Parsons. That's an easy one. How big a loss do you think Trayvon Diggs is? I go back and forth on this one. Yeah, Not that he's, well, he's a great player. He's a great player. Obviously, you're putting out a lesser player. I guess the question becomes, and I don't think we know the answer yet, is will it impact how Dan Quinn plays tactically? That, to me, becomes the question. We know that Deron Bland is not Trayvon Diggs, although I think Bland, when he played outside last year, um, was pretty good, although this past week the cards went after him pretty good, and he struggled yeah. on the outside. Um, now, again, that's his first game. He'd been playing the slot. Well, assuming he's still the guy who's going to play outside, we'll see. But you and I both know that Dan Quinn is is a big man coverage you know, defensive coordinator. They play a yeah. high percentage of man coverage, usually cover one, which means there's a single post safety. And for all intents and purposes, your corners are essentially on an island because anything outside the numbers, the safety is not really going to be a factor. So in, in many cases, the corner in cover one is playing zero man. Um, so we'll see as the season progresses how Dan Quinn feels about that, depending on the opponent, of course, as well. You know, there may be yeah. some weeks, depending on the opponent, he feels he can play a lot of cover one. There may be other weeks, depending on the opponent, he feels he can't do that. Don't forget, last year, he ended up playing a lot more cover two than we'd seen Dan Quinn play in previous years. Yeah, and he would play it out of cover one looks. They'd line up in man-to-man yeah. and then play, which Quinn started doing that in Atlanta. He'd use Isaiah Oliver as kind of the middle hole dropper. He did that with Diggs a little bit. I thought we might see more of that. He hasn't done it as much. He's done it. He's played cover two, but he hasn't gotten into the disguises as much this year. They were 42% man coverage in weeks one and two, 42% again, believe it or not, against Arizona. I think the, the test will probably be San Francisco. To, so I would imagine they're going to be comfortable in man against New England's offense. New England doesn't have the type of receivers that are going to run by you as much. Would yeah, you, well, I mean, now you get into specific down and distance because one thing you have to be careful of if you're going to play man against the 49ers particularly on early downs wait is, i'm talking i'm talking third down to be oh, make got your it, point. Got it, yeah, yeah but third down but make it's a great point make your point though because uh, if you start playing man on early downs when the niners run the ball because they do such a good job with easy releases and motions is they end up running out your run support defenders out of run support because of the motions and the easy releases by the tight end. And by easy release, I mean, they just, instead of blocking, they just release into a route and they take their man coverage defender with them and they're no longer in run support. So, you, you know, you probably don't want to do a lot of that on first down or second and, you know, normal down and distance type situations. But yeah, you're talking about third down. That's where we'll get a pretty good feel. And that game's only in two weeks. So we'll get a pretty yeah. good feel by then 
as to how Dan Quinn feels about Deron Bland playing on the outside, having to match up against Samuel or Ayuk. You know, Andy, another thought about the Cowboys as we're discussing them, and, you know, and obviously discussing their corner situation, but it made me think that they are a big nickel defense. They don't really play with three linebackers unless it's truly a specialty situation, short yardage, goal line. Their base defense is big nickel. And what I mean by that, of course, is three safeties and two corners. And now that they have Donovan Wilson back, he was injured, but he was back this past week. They're playing with the three safeties they want to play with. Donovan Wilson, Malik Hooker, and J. Ron Curse. But the yeah. reason I mention it, obviously the Cowboys are a good starting point, is watching tape, you know, you see it as well. So many teams now in the NFL are playing big nickel with three safeties. I saw the Eagles do it this week. First time I'm watching their tape, and all of a sudden I see Sidney Brown in the game. They're playing big nickel, and they weren't just playing it versus 12 on, you know, first down. 12 personnel, meaning one back, two tight ends. I saw them playing it on third and long a couple of times. So it, it's really interesting to me. You know, what are your thoughts as to why Big Nickel has become more and more prevalent in the league? Well, I think two. So a two-part answer, real quick on Philadelphia on the third and long thing. You know, in that scheme, especially one thing, and it was more prevalent with Jonathan Gannon, which he, by the way, he's a Big Nickel guy now in Arizona with Jalen Thompson. Uh, but I think the slot and the safety on the field side, the field safety out of these split safety structures, are becoming more interchangeable. And you see more slots kind of rotating back to safety. They're almost, if you carry the seam out of quarters, you're essentially playing with another safety. That slot's doing a lot of what a safety would be doing in that part of the field. So I think there's some interchangeability and coaches are comfortable moving guys back and forth between those two positions as part of it. Um, if you also think about if you're going to go 5-1 defensive personnel, Penny, or 5-1 nickel for, you know, five defensive linemen, one linebacker, having a, a big nickel instead of a small nickel, if you will, a safety there kind of mitigates some of the weakness that you inherently have if you're going to get with only one stack linebacker in your personnel. So that's that'd be another part of it. But, Greg, I think we need to overall, just football community-wise, we talk about, oh, it's a nickel league now. They don't play base anymore. There's two forms of nickel. There's your run nickel where you've got your run defenders up front in your defensive line. And then there's your pass nickel, where you right. have your guys, your gap shooting, NASCAR fronts, whatever you want to call it. Those defensive, for, for, for some teams, it's similar. For most teams, those are really, really different defensive packages. Some teams will even change up linebacker and safety personnel on those packages. I think we need to start looking at nickel like that. Is what's the is it the run nickel we're talking about, which is where you get that third safety a lot of the time? Or is it the pass nickel, which you get on third down and seven, eight yards to go, et cetera? Well, and I think you make a great point because in the run nickel where you'll see a lot of big nickel with three safeties, because the one thing that can cause defenses problems if they play quote-unquote conventional nickel with three corners, let's say on first and 10 or second and four, especially if that nickel corner is a smaller player, is sometimes depending on how you line up your front, that nickel could potentially have a B-gap responsibility in the run game, depending on how yeah. you map out your front. And you don't want the Mike Hiltons of the world, as good a nickel as he is, to really have a B-gap responsibility in the run game versus two-by-two two sets. You know, so so now if you play big nickel and that player is J. Ron Curse, 
who's 6'4", 220, you feel a lot more comfortable on second and four in big nickel with J. Ron Kirst having, let's say, a B-gap or even a C-gap responsibility in the run game versus a small, you know, a small nickel. Yeah, that was a great point. And what we've seen where, where this became more prevalent is all the jet motion that came into the league in 2018. That's impacting gap responsibilities at the second level. And, and yeah. offense will line up and dictate that, that 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 nickel has to come in and play the B gap because we're going to motion in certain ways that compel him to do that. And 2018, more jet motion every year. There's more of it. The big nickel has kind of come along about a year and a half, two years right behind it. And it's increasing at a very similar rate. And I, I, I would, I don't think that's a coincidence. No, I agree a thousand percent. And, and another point too, is against 12 personnel, um, where there's receiving tight ends is, you know, you feel a lot more comfortable playing with a, a safety to, to mat if you're going to play man. But even if you're playing zone, we know that zones end up having to match up somewhere along the line. You know, the days of somebody just running to a landmark and standing there are pretty much over. So, you know, there's much more pattern matching even in zone than there's ever been. You know, you feel much more comfortable with, you know, Cameron Curl, for instance, of the commanders, who's there essentially big nickel safety matching up to a tight end than you would a third linebacker. So, you know, you, you just you feel better with the matchups as well in the pass game. We were speaking about the importance in the run game, but you also feel a lot better in the pass game. Yeah, and we see these three safeties on dime as well, dime defense. Yeah. Remember when I first was starting to learn football, I felt like dime was four corner or yeah, four corners, two safeties. And if I see a four corner dime now, I, I note it specifically because to me, dime implies three safeties. I don't, I don't, I can't think of a defense. Maybe you can that plays by default. Their dime is four corners right now. That's the Raiders a special did that this week. The Raiders did that this week and, uh, and they matched their dime corner. Um, I believe it was David Long who was with the Rams, right? He was. And, and, and people don't know this, but David Long made the key play on the Aaron Donald disruption. Well, I don't think it was a sack, but when Donald got to Burrow to seal the win, David wow. Long was the guy that but took they, away they, the throw. They played four corners and they matched David Long on Pat Fryermuth because they played man on almost every third down this past week against the Steelers. And they went four corners, two safeties in their dime. And they only played dime essentially on third down. And they matched okay. Long on, on uh, Pat Fryermuth. So, yes, but you're right. You rarely ever see four corners and two safeties in a dime package in the league now. Yeah, and I'm looking at their depth. So Roderick Teamer it would be their third safety. And I wonder if that a little bit is just a putting our – and David Long's a bigger body guy too. Right. But he's, he's long He's long limb, no pun intended. But I wonder if a little bit of that's just they're putting their best players on the field in that case. Could be right. Which uh, is but, always a good strategy, wouldn't you agree? To get your best players on the field? Yes. Yeah, I would say that you'd probably try to do that most of the time, if not all the time. Yeah. Who? So, like, who do you think is the premier dime safety slash linebacker, the Adrian Phillips type of guy? The guy, oh, like boy. you mentioned Cam Curl, who might be the answer to the question. The guy, the safety that basically plays linebacker and dime, who's the best Kyle in the Duggar's league? Duggar's really right good now? at that. Duggar in, in New England. Yeah, Duggar's a really good player, and and he 
he's obviously a very smart player because he plays multiple spots within the Bill Belichick defenses. And I don't think Belichick would allow him to do that if he couldn't handle it mentally. I think he's a real, and he's six three two twenty. He's a big guy. Um, yeah. Trying to think of yeah. others, you know, that play a, a lot of a big nickel. Um, or just, or just three, three safety oh, three teams safety that play a lot of time, time basically. Um, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the teams that that's one of those questions you threw at me. I'm trying to think of the I teams. I know. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not a fair one because it's, it's, it's easier if we had the list of guys in front. I should have prepared right, right. it. Had sports put it together. Um, the other thing we see with dime those we're kind of going through it mentally is, is more three two dime as well. Now, like the Saints yes. with tomorrow Davis and the Saints and, and have Warner that years. That's a big Dennis Allen thing. And, the reason they do that is is Demario Davis because he is so multidimensional and versatile. Um, and and last year, actually, in the second half of the season, they used Caden Ellis as a pass rusher in that role. He's now with Atlanta, where Ryan Nielsen is the defensive coordinator, and he came from Dennis Allen and the Saints. Um, so now they kind of keep Pete Werner in the game in that role. He's not as good a pass rusher as Caden Ellis was, but the Saints have been playing three two six. You see a lot of it. The Chiefs do that as well. They'll line yeah, that's up with the I've got their depth chart in front of me. And they'll keep Bolton and another linebacker in the game. They do that as well. Yeah, well, and the guy they signed was Drew Tranquil from the Chargers, who was a dime specialist. He actually played a lot of snaps for him last year. But that's I, when I saw that signing, I figured that, all right, they're they're doubling yeah. down on the three two dime stuff. Yeah, you mentioned so, Atlanta, by the way. Have you seen? I haven't seen their Lions film yet. I saw their first two. I didn't games. see it from this week. No, I, that'll probably be tomorrow. Did you? Did I? Cameron, did you see them the weeks one or two at all? I did. Um, I know I saw them last week. Anything in particular? I'm trying to remember. Well, what what? And it was more week one. They had Carolina. And they got Carolina on the ropes, struggling offensive line. I don't think line. I saw that. I they saw... Who'd, they, who'd they play last week too? It's funny how you lose track. It's isn't it amazing? Like if these games feel like they were ten years ago. I know. I know. Some of these. Yeah. Yeah. It's but what what I liked about Atlanta. Uh, on their third down was all this different stunts that they've done. Yes, on third yes. down. Yeah, and, and they're another team, by the way. You mentioned that quarters, that special quarters. They're kind of playing quarters a little differently, too. They didn't do it as much in week two as they did in week one. But uh, that was a defense to me that was really dynamic. They, Green Bay, by the way, was their second game. But oh, um, I watched that because I, I remember watching Jordan Love. You. And I'm sure they yeah, didn't do they, it as much week two, you know, because they're, week one they played a quarterback that never played an NFL game. Now, not that Jordan Love is highly experienced, but he's been around the league a little bit. Yeah, and, and I think what's different is Jordan Love is in, being inserted into an offense that I don't want to say it has an established identity because there's so many new wide receivers there. They're probably feeling a lot of things out, but it's still it's the same system, same coaches, similar yeah. offensive line, same backfield. It's got an identity. Carolina is kind of putting it all together from scratch with the new coaching staff right now. Yeah, they're so, figuring it out during the games, yes. Yeah, I, I, but I thought Atlanta was some of their different – I don't know how we got off on this, but some of their different pass rush stuff on third down, uh, that first game. And now I'm feeling like I should watch that Lions film this week. No, I'm going to. I, I also enjoy watching the Lions offense, so I, I will get to yeah. that date for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. Some te- There are some teams that you, like, you can't watch every game of every team. It's, I mean, you can, but you're going to miss some other teams. It's, there are about five or six teams on each side of the ball that are – you feel like you're missing a lot if you don't I know, see them. I, I feel that way. And it's funny because then if I miss one of those teams and I get back to it the next week, I say, God, why didn't I watch them last week? Cause I know I missed some really good things. 
So I asked you what you'd watched before we got on tonight. You didn't have the Miami-Denver film on the list, so I assume Oh, you no, I did watch Miami's O. Yes, of course. Okay. You what'd have you, to watch you Miami's that? O. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, I was what surprised. So if someone had told me before that game, they're going to have 726 yards of offense and 70 points. I could probably believe the 70 points, and I probably would think they scooped a couple of fumbles for touchdowns somewhere, whatever. I would not believe the 726 in yardage, though, and I certainly wouldn't believe those two things together offensively. And then if you told me, it's it's amazing. But then I would have thought, all right, well, they must have just killed him with these switch releases off of the jet motions that we talk about every week. They did some of that, but it felt like they were just lighting them up with the run game this week. They scored 70. They had some big runs. Yeah. And, and, you know, even though they had big runs, and, and you and I both know Mike McDaniel, and we know that he's a run game savant, my sense is, you know, this is a longer discussion. We'll save this for another week. We'll, we'll tease it and save it for another <laughs> week. But my sense is that you still have to play Miami with the idea that you're going to stop the passing game. And you, 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 and again, I don't want to go into too much detail because there's a lot here, and let's let's leave it for another week. But all I'll say is this: I don't think your plan playing the Miami Dolphins is. You know, let's let's crowd the box and stop the run. That to me would not be the approach you're going to take. Well, especially because the way they run, they get the ball on the perimeter so differently right. than most teams that I, I would bet you they would welcome you crowding the box. Not because they right. throw. I mean, they throw it. They, of course, they'd welcome it. But you know, you can't just line up and play run defense against those guys the way you normally would. No. There's too many angle blocks, crackback blocks, misdirection elements. They and kill you on the perimeter with the run and between the numbers with the pass. That's hard to defend both of those. And it things might be a want. good conversation next week because they're playing the Bills, who not only have a veteran defensive coach in Sean McDermott, who's been around the league for a long time, but they also have two veteran safeties who can do a lot of things. See, you, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you want to be able to do with your safeties when you play the Dolphins. Again, I don't want to give too much away. We'll save it because we'll see what happens this week. But with veteran safeties who have seen a lot and have played together for a long time, I think that that helps you when you play a team like the Dolphins. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And that you're, it's a great point. That'll be a good game. It's a team. They played them three times last year. Yeah. It wasn't the same Dolphins offense quite with two. was out of some of those games, but these teams know each other. Bills have been together for a long time. Really well-coached team. Deep pass rush rotation. This will be a great litmus test for the Dolphins. I mean, obviously, they're an un- incredible team, but we maybe find out how incredible this week. Because I don't think, although Buffalo didn't tackle as well last season as they normally do, they're not going to miss tackles the way the Broncos did last week. No, no, that's not going to happen. I mean, last week, look, we know Miami's a great offense, and and – you know, we can get more into that as well. I mean, we've discussed motion, but there's other things to discuss, you know, when we can get into that more as time goes on. And we know they're a really, really good offense, but they're not going to score 10 touchdowns and put up 726 yards of offense every week. That's not that's not going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, there's our tease. So we'll, we're, now we have to remember to watch the Buffalo-Miami film. Oh, I'll first be watching that for sure. I know you will be. Yes, and then uh, we have to remember to tell everyone what we think about it because we just told them we would. Right, right exactly. So, well, it's a good tease. Yeah. You know, that's that's what we yeah, do. Yeah, no, you're an old tease. You run – Greg Cosell runs the NFL broadcast boot camp. He knows – I'm sure teases is part of it somewhere in some way in some fashion. You know teases. That's a good tease. I like it. 
All right. All right, Greg. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Hit that subscribe button. This is the Behind the Screen Podcast. I'm Andy Benoit, my friend Greg Cosell. And as we've teased, we'll be back next week talking Dolphins, Bills, among other things. 